Hi, I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and an ASEC certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Claim the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. This show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Me too. (laughs) Welcome to the next chapter of Plan the Stage. Hey, Jolie. Hi, Ange. How are you? Good. I don't know why I just said that. Like I was on top of a mountain and you're at the bottom. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we could just pretend we have like tin cans and we could, I don't know. It's only like 18 miles between us. I think when we start doing the YouTube version of this podcast, we should hold cans up the whole time as if that's how we're recording. (laughs) I like that. Oh, let's like, oh, I'll have, um, I'll have one of my innovative children build like a tin can to go over my microphone. So it looks like I'm just always like tin can with a string. Yeah. I like that. I, I think that would be cool. Yeah. It's, a, it's a nice blend of your arts and crafts and your homesteading and yeah. your, t- and, but also realizing we have to like work with today's technology. Totally. <laughs> I love that concept. You know, Ken and I used to talk about that all the time. We think about technology being this stuff, like the microphones and the zoom calls and all of that. But you know, technology is fire and the wheel and talking (laughs) like that's technology right yeah so I love the idea of of like integrating all of it like not not separating like new technology versus ancient technology or you know mid-range 1930s technology yeah which the tin can speaks to me from that spot Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) definitely well we have our part three of the pleasure conversation today and today's um episode is actually an interview with someone who's talking about pleasure and how it kind of integrates into their work. And I loved our conversation. I had another crush on a guest. So you're really good at picking guests that I just fall in love with. That's my, that's my whole goal. I'm just going to make you like a whole pod of people you're in love with. (laughs) Thank you. That's that's it. (laughs) So before we jump into the interview, we have some other stuff to discuss as always. And I guess we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been up to this week and some some fun things that we're finding joy and pleasure from and what we're working on, you know, all that stuff. The stuff. So, yeah, it's just I, life. It is. So I was, I wanted to kind of ask you this question because you're an experienced mom. Do you like to be called a seasoned mom, an experienced mom? Oh, seasoned? Only if you put cumin on me. Um, <laughs> I- I'm okay with any of the above. I would be seasoned or old or experienced, whatever. I am 44, but I feel like a thousand years older than you because my kids are so much older than your kid. Yeah. So like, yeah, it it does make a strange scenario for me. So whatever. But I've definitely been around the block because it's not just that I've been doing it for 21 plus years, but 
that there are so many of them that I lost the, I was disillusioned from the idea that there's like child raising. No, there's just child being like, you're just with that child. (laughs) They're all different. As soon as you think you figured out how kids work, you're screwed because the next one going to come along and totally mess you up. Spoken like a true seasoned mom. There's the wisdom. I'll get the human right now. I know. (laughs) You should put some tagine. You also introduced me to that. (laughs) Yes, that would be perfect. I have, I could get one of my mini bottles. (laughs) So spicy. So the question I have came from this week because Max turned 19 months old and I thought, how long do I keep referring to him as months old versus years? Because I don't, you know, I celebrate on Instagram. I put a little post up, said he's 19 months old today and I put some of the stuff that he likes. And then I thought, am I going to be that mom who's like, my son is 264 months old today? <laughs> and <laughs> I don't, like, what's the cutoff? Do you, would you have a preference? Okay, so here's the thing. I, I do think that there there is a rule of thumb, but... I also think it happens naturally. I think that you will find very automatically, I think the cutoff really is at two years because we start talking in like quarter years at two years. However, I think it happens naturally when we get to 27 months. Something about our human brains stops calculating in months. So you start having to count and think he's 20, 20, 24, 5, 6, 7. So it naturally falls away and you'll just count in like quarter years and half years. And then that goes on for a while. And then you get to a point, like, I don't say that Sage is 21 and a half years old. Right. <laughs> don't do that. Right. So it does have, it has a half-life and I think you'll just find it naturally happens. 19 months is still totally cool. You are not in like the zone of, of strangeness where you're listing out the months. Okay. It's because 19 months is so different from 18 months. It's so different from. It is. Yeah. New stuff okay. is happening like every week, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Especially because yeah. he's not really talking a ton. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like, you're going to have a period of time where he really gets his language and you're like, poof, 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 right through. And every week you'll be like, oh, I think we have to we have to level up again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel better. Now I know. Now I know the rules. Um, what's new with you this week? Oh, new is um, the operative word. Everything. I had a... <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm back in school and I... And I'm also teaching, um, and I am working really hard to wrap up like my big offering. So everything feels new right now because I'm in that zone of like, wow, I'm really doing all these things all at once. But what's happening is I'm working on a new project, and I'm realizing that, you know, that rule where we're supposed to like rest and like give ourselves rest, and that's really good. Yeah, I totally agree with it. And <laughs> there, I really like to be encouraged as well. Like you can do this. So I bit off a lot. I bit off exactly what I could possibly chew this semester. It is a lot. And I still want to show up and bring it because when I go through this list, there's nothing on there that I don't care about deeply. So yeah, what's new is I'm trying to adapt to the fact that I can ask for what I need and the support I need right now from all the people who are close to me is you got this. It's going to be okay. You can take a deep breath. You can rest for the afternoon. You can come back and you'll be able to do this again tomorrow fresh rather than like, wow, did you take on too much? And do you need to set that down? Which is sometimes a super useful question, but I made my commitments. And so like from now till June, this is what I'm doing. Well, now through the end of May, this is what I'm doing. And I want to feel good about that. I want to feel excited and I want to remember 
that I am totally up to the task of doing a lot of stuff. In fact, I thrive there. I just can't do it forever. So I'm I'm looking forward to my vacations, but I'm really, I'm in it. I'm really in it. And I know you're super busy too. So well, I like that you're setting boundaries around what type of type of support you're accepting. That's really crystal clear and really helpful, not only for you so that you get what you need, but also for the people who are trying to support you because then they know how to. (laughs) Yeah. If we want to live in a consent-based culture, we have to really start having these conversations in our everyday life. Like, what does it mean to um, to have a boundary if you don't communicate it? That's that is a challenging concept. So um, there's somebody I follow on on Facebook and Instagram and I or face I think just Facebook who I admire so much. Um Melina uh ha, oh, Melina Williams Haas, I believe, is their name. And they have this great statement. It says that any post, like, no advice, please. And I love this. And I I read their posts and they're always so funny and sometimes big problems, like they're trying to problem solve big life challenges. No advice, please. You know exactly what to do in the comment section. Like they're looking for funny, supportive, you know, claps, encouragement. I love it. I forgot. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just had an out-of-body experience. I like, okay, tell me what happened. All of a sudden I thought I forgot to hit record. I've had a really long morning and then I realized we are recording. And then I realized I'd already made the noise. Like we weren't recording. (laughs) Right. So you made the not recording noise. And I looked up and I'm like, we are recording. That was awesome. I was also listening to what you were saying though. (laughs) No, I I like it. That all happened in a microsecond. That was less than one second worth of panic. Okay. Yeah. What kind of support do you need (laughs) about that? I think I need to take a nap. Really? Oh, okay. I had a really long morning. Yeah. And things just every, basically everything that I've planned this morning has not gone to plan at all. And part of it is to do with Max and part of it is to just do with life. And it's like, so now that's how these moments of like (gasps) happen in the middle of a podcast, because I'm just bracing for something to go wrong, I guess. (laughs) Right. Well, I support you taking a nap this afternoon. Are you going to be able to? Yes. Awesome. Great. Yes. Then you have the capacity. You're all set up and we are recording. Nothing happened. So fantastic. Yeah. Live troubleshooting of life. <laughs> <laughs> Worked right through that. All right. Next thing. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you up to? What's going on? I mean, everything. I I just feel like I haven't exhaled in like four weeks and yeah. It's been it's been really intense. It's what I signed up for because I knew leading up to this year that I wanted to set a really big goal for myself and sort of like come back. Like I wanted to have a comeback, you know. I felt yeah. like these last two years have been really difficult and I I've felt like I've just been like sort of maintaining and trying not to completely drown. And now I'm like, oh, I'm ready to swim again. And I think I possibly bit off more than I could chew. <laughs> and And I realize I have some great support systems in place, but I also need to be really firm with my free time. Like I can't let things creep into that because if I don't give myself that downtime and that time to renew and like regenerate my brain, nothing goes well. And Mm -hmm. so this week, I think I really, really uh, was reminded of that lesson for the 400th time. And yeah, I'm... Yeah, I think I'm just always going in that direction of pushing myself harder than I should. And 
I, I'm, I'm just, I think What's I'm the beca- should tell me more about the should though. The should is, um, like, I don't want to get to this point where I feel like I'm about to burn out. I really don't like it. I don't like being at this point. I want to be able to stop myself like 20 paces before, yeah. <laughs> before I arrive at that space. That's really helpful information for me to have as your friend, because I actually really like, I love, like, I love races. I like running and I'm the kind of runner who runs through the finish line. Like I'm still running. Other people slow down a little bit beforehand. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Cause like I have like a four hour 45 marathon. Like I am not competitive. I am slow as hell, but there's a different way to finish. And I have to finish like that. I, I love that feeling of like utter exhaustion, hitting the bed and like, Oh, I did all that. But I'm hearing you reflect that you want to, to be able to pace yourself so that you don't get to that total, like crispy burned out place. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I think in the past I've, I've gone into like hyperactive work mode where it's like, just get it done, just get it done, just get it done. And yeah, a lot gets met, uh, taken off the list, but at the same time, I'm not being thoughtful and that's yeah. the part that bothers me. And I feel like that's starting to happen again. It's like, I'm missing the opportunity to really think about what I'm doing and why and how it plays into a bigger picture and a bigger strategy. And I don't like when I get to that point, because then it feels like I'm just burning out and pushing myself, but to what end? Yeah. So, I mean, this is your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is your life. These The moments are the life, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess this week has been a good reminder to try and lighten the load a little bit and and lower the expectations again. And yeah. this may be my life's practice. <laughs> you're making a comeback this time as a mom. Like you're mm-hmm. you're a mom. And so it's not like you took two years off. Mm-mm. And other stuff happened. You had a huge loss. You experienced a difficult relationship breakup. You had like stuff happened. So it's not just the momming, but you're also com- like making this comeback now with this whole new piece of yourself. So it makes sense to me that you would need to if, like t- stop and take stock a lot along the way. Like, are you doing like monthly reviews for yourself or or anything to just like check in? Like, how's this going? Yes, exactly. I actually put that on my calendar as like a two hour block of time to look at the past month and then look at the upcoming month. Because I realize now my work time is a lot different than it used to be. It's like every hour that I'm working, I'm not with my son. And so if I'm going to be spending this time doing work-related activities, it needs to be meaningful. I'm not going to just like mess around like, well, I just feel like spending 20 hours making another thing that's not going to have any purpose in the world. (laughs) No, I totally get that. I completely get that because my kids are on the other end of the spectrum. So when like my eldest daughter shows up, she's an adult, she doesn't live here. When she shows up and she wants to hang out, that's a gift. So I have to think about like, do I really want to say no? Is there Mm -hmm. any reason that I want to say I need to do, is my, if I'm not with a client doing the work, yeah, everything else can actually move. Yeah. It's, I, ugh, I'm having like a precious moments moment. I don't know <laughs> ugh. I'm not good at that. I am so not sentimental. It's not my jam. Like, oh, am I going to get one of those little precious moments dolls? Like with yep. my daughter's name with on it. With the droopy eyes. The droopy big, like, what is that? What just happened to me? I know. But yeah, I'll get a little maudlin because they're growing up. And this is, my, so, so you're at the like, Oh, every month that goes by, 
like that's that's it. That's when he's that age. And I am at the other end going, wow, these are my last few years of having a house filled with rambunctious kids and like listening to the wildness out there and actually being part of it and not just being a spectator. Yeah. I don't want to just spectate my kids. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I think this is a good time to bring up some of the things that are bringing us joy right now. Well, that's easy for me. I want to go first. Okay. Yeah, do it. Okay. Um, The thing that's bringing me the most joy, I only wrote down one thing. It's the videos of Max playing in the snow or in a box or whatever. Like you send me these cute little adorable, tiny little videos. They're just like little snippets of a little guy doing his thing. Like just being a little guy and um yeah like I cannot help but feel my shoulders relax and like ah and it's just awesome and there are other people who I know who have babies who are posting videos or send me little videos every once in a while I'm like that is it is the most joyful thing I can do I mean I I probably wouldn't have stopped at the number of kids I have I gave birth to four I got three more through glorious incident and accident and um I wouldn't have stopped. Like I would have kept, I would have so many children, so many children, but I did stop and I miss that time. So it's so awesome for me. I'm glad you like that. I, I enjoy sending them to you because it's, it, I feel like I'm spreading joy. So totally <laughs> pixie dust. Like, <laughs> absolutely. So what about you? What's bringing you joy? Well, one thing that brought me joy is from our guest today. Uh, Cindy Lee Alves, she sent an email to us with her information, her bio and her headshot for our marketing stuff. And at the bottom of her email, she, she signed it, have the day you need to have. Instead of signing, have a great day. I saw that and I think I stared at it for a solid three minutes and thought, <laughs> whoa, whoa, this is... um this is such a game changer because my whole life I've been trying to tell people how they should be spending their day, assuming that having a great day is the best way to spend your day. Mm -hmm. But when I read have the day you need to have, it was like removal of all expectations in the world Mm -hmm. that you have to have it a certain way in order for it to be good or right. And I thought I would like to hang a sign in my kitchen that says have the day you need to have, and then attribute it to Cindy Lee, of course, but just to look at that and know, like, if I want to have a really crappy day, that's okay. Cause that's the yeah. day I need to have. <laughs> well, did you ever have, I went through a whole year after my mother died a whole year where every Thursday, what I needed to have, because Thursday was the day that, um, I had like, I had like a six hour chunk of time by myself. What I needed to do was cry my flipping eyes out. And it was a year because what happened, I couldn't grieve all at once. I had to. So what I needed to do, I basically scheduled my grief. So when I would have my morning class on Thursdays, people would often leave like high fives and everything was great. You know, they're leaving the gym. They're all pumped up. And I was sort of entering into my like, okay, I'm going to go into the vessel. Like I'm going down, I'm going in. And they're all hyper and excited. And that's great. But yeah, what I longed for was the permission to have the day I needed to have, which was not great by like typical standards. It wasn't, it wasn't a go get it day. It wasn't a... It wasn't pleasant. I didn't even like it. I just needed it. Yeah. I love that. And Cindy Lee is the first place I ever heard that. And she's so consistent with it. Like whenever I get even a text from her, like, I hope you had the day you needed to have. It's so, such a great reminder. So yeah, I'm going to put it on my kitchen wall too. Cindy Lee is going to be, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll just get it. We'll get it made in vinyl going right (laughs) on the wall. It's happening. (laughs) I might have it in my bathroom and my bedroom too, because yeah. it's just the best permission I think I've heard in a while. Yeah. 
So have the day you need to have, bringing lots of joy and pleasure over here. Um, Anything else you want to add? Well, the only thing I would add is that I love doing this. And so actually making this podcast and connecting with you this way, which is so much different from like all the little contacts is um, big joy. I, and I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to feel. I didn't know whether it was going to feel like I was adding a thing onto my life. Like, uh, but, um, but here I, I was in the middle of something and I knew I needed to switch gears right now to record this. And I smiled when I realized what time it was. I'm like, Oh, this is bringing <laughs> me joy. Yay. Yeah. I felt the same way. I always feel that way now. And when, when we're going to jump on here, cause I know like, it's just going to be fun. And I've yeah. gotten some texts from people who know both of us who are like, it's so fun to listen to you and Julie on the <laughs> podcast. So I'm like, Oh good. I'm glad other people are enjoying it as much as Yay. we are. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I do. I haven't gotten to the spot yet where I'm like terrified. Like, wow, what do people think? I'm still, I'm still just reveling in the fun of it. Okay. Not thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did one more experiment from the pleasure experiment. Awesome. I did the um, touch. I did another touch one, and it was in a really fun way. So the last couple of months, every time I open my underwear drawer and my sock drawer, it's like a um, an overflowing of fabric and just things that feel like I don't want to go in that drawer because I'm going to have to like look for what I need, and mm. you know that's the first indication that like you got to organize what's going on here, but I decided to do it with touch in mind. And so I thought like I, I touched all my socks and I was like, okay, these are itchy. These are, these like don't feel comfortable at all. So they're going away. And then the socks that were sort of like threadbare on the bottom, those aren't comfortable to wear. So those went away. And then any underwear that just like had like um, the elastic that maybe like cuts into my hip, those were going away. No judgmental underwear needed. No, (laughs) I, so I organized my sock and underwear drawer using the touch experiment and I loved it. It was so much more fun than just like, do I like these or I don't know. I love that. I totally love that. I, I did another day as well. I did sexy and erotic. Oh, it was amazing. And I mean, it's not like I don't spend some time in that area. I mean, it's kind of my jam, Yeah. but, um, but I took the time to have really slow sex and Boom. Like I, I, for, you know, like we forget that there's all these, all of these different ways to be erotically charged. So it may, it was just a moment to like slow down and say, Oh, I'm just going to intentionally do this differently. It was fantastic. Total reconnection time to myself. I mean, there was another person there and it was reconnection time too, but <laughs> more importantly, I felt fully reconnected to myself because it was intentional. Like I, because I was, there was no, there was no rush. Um, and there was no, I, absolutely no goal because I was, I was thinking about, I went into it thinking about the experiment, like just experimenting with what things feel erotic. Don't worry about whether it's heading anywhere. I know that, like I preach that every day in my work, but the reminder was really good. So apparently I just need to run around with sticky notes and like, write Experiment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, does slow sex mean that you did it for a really long time or it was just a much slower motion than usual? You know it how was, I like to clarify. It was things. actually, yeah, I like this. You're getting really specific. Let's get precise here. Okay. It was actually, it was actually slow in several ways. There was a slower lead up. So the foreplay was slower. Mm. Um, I had said that that's what I was going in for. And, I, but here's where it was for me. The emotions slowed down. Mm. I actually slowed the emotions down and said the things like it was kind of like doing um, 
therapy and having sex at the same time. Like I was saying the things and he was saying the things back to me. We were like processing emotions as we were going along. So oh. it did wind up taking a little longer than usual. Um, so, you know, it took, a, had to set aside some time, but, um, but it wasn't really that it, it wasn't really about what motions were happening. Cause it was definitely not always slow. Um, but it was about this like really like deep in the groove intention of, no, we're just going to actually be in it. And, you know, there are all these children around. So, but they're old enough. Just put a damn sign on the door. Don't knock. Oh. <laughs> and it's over. <laughs> like, don't. Just don't. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. So, okay, now I understand what you mean by slow sex. That was very different than what I was picturing at first. So I'm glad you explained it. I like the ideas that you had, though. I'll put those in the bucket. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's a different kind of fuck it bucket. It is. <laughs> it's an actual literal fuck it bucket. I could have one of those. I'll start one of those. I will. She'll well, be sassy. Yeah. I th- what What would the container look like? It just Oh, this would have to be like really sexy. I think I'm going to have to go with like a full on aphroditic vessel. Mm. Like I'm going to need like an, uh, like an, like a big iron vessel, like with like the arms and like the full shape. Yeah. I need the whole thing. Yeah, that works. Yeah. All right. Well, if we want to bring any of those items you throw in there onto the show, just let me know. Okay. Uh, speaking of that, that was the next thing I wanted to ask you about was the fuck it bucket. I forgot to pull one out, but you told me that yours probably applies to me since every time we have like the same one. So I figured I would just let you pick mine by telling me yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's what I think we should just say. Fuck it. We do not need to waste time on this. It's hiding from my pain. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, (laughs) it actually came up during the um, during experiment 11, Um, the emotions that came up. There was a whole bunch of ouch in there. So I was I was having this really erotic experience, but but it brought up some really deep shame, like really deep core shame stuff, like way down. And instead of hiding from it. Uh, we just dealt with it. Like we said the things that needed to be said in the moment and processed it. And then we've talked about it since several times. And it's been really, really good. And what I noticed is it was just, it was just about deciding that we weren't, we didn't need to hide from it. We could have both and we could say, be having sex and deal with the shame. We could be super, super excited because we're heading towards orgasm even. And hold space for the fact that there is some pain happening. And so afterwards, I actually, I wrote it down and I was like, okay, no more hiding from pain. And I chucked it in the fuck it bucket. And that was three days ago, I think. And it's, I, I'm noticing it everywhere. I'm like, oh, I keep thinking that there'll be this spot I get to where I'll have peeled back enough layers that they'll happen slower. It's not, it keeps happening faster. It's like the center of an onion. Like there's just more layers to peel back. <laughs> So, yeah. What about you? Want well, to chuck hiding from your pain? I do. I do. And actually, I had an experience this morning that I don't really want to get into the details yet because I'm kind of just still trying to figure out what happened. But I, I had a phone call with someone who really opened my eyes to some things that I think I was missing. And I got off the phone and I just felt like nauseous and I felt oh, like upset and Instead of just like ignoring that and then just jumping right into like checking my email, I sat with that feeling for a while. I was like, what is this feeling about? What is it trying to show me? What is it trying to tell me? Why did I, why was that my first response to this conversation? 
And it, it kind of showed me that I have a hard time feeling like I made a mistake. Like mm. it was about my perfectionist was all like riled up about it. Like, how could you, you should have known better. It was a lot of that. And like, just feeling really embarrassed, even though the other person had no idea. Yes. Okay. I totally hear that. So the, the, the adding into the mix, uh, like the, like the mix of, of shame, the, the word embarrassment feels super important there. Like yeah. embarrassed, even in front of just yourself, yep. like no one, what you would even need to know about it. And somehow embarrassment comes up. Mm-hmm. I feel like, so I've been studying jealousy for a long time and I'm still really excited. I'm actually putting a study out into the field very soon, but I feel like embarrassment might be calling me next because it's been coming up over and over again. What the hell is that? Yeah. It's huge. It is. It is. How long did you sit with it? Probably four or five minutes. Did it, did it change or like? It definitely, I would say it went from feeling like an eight to like a four, you know, so just being able to kind of have a non-judgmental conversation with myself about what that is was helpful. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, just like remembering that I'm, I'm not supposed to be perfect. I'm just like, I'm still learning a lot all the time. So the fact that I made this appointment and had this phone call with this person and then really took in what was being said and how it could actually help me was what I tried to focus on instead. It was like, well, why don't we stop focusing on the fact that I made a mistake and instead focus on the fact that I have more information that will help me go in the right direction. Yep. Um, And that helped. And you know, your your learning i like i i know that when i've gone through moments like that it helps me to remember that that is actually what i'm going to tra- that's the that's part of the transformation i will offer later in my work i don't have it yet but whatever you're going through right now you're going to work through it you're going to learn a bunch of stuff and you'll be able to fold that into your work like oh i can i can help someone else see this that's a great point. And that's actually something that I've used as a part of my messaging when I've sold Speaking School for Women is I'm going to tell you about all the mistakes I made so you don't have to. And that has been, and you've took the class, like I tell so many yep. stories in there about all the different you mistakes do. I made. Every embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think it's a great teaching tool. And when I tell those stories, I'm not embarrassed. I'm like, I'm so glad yeah. I get to tell them this so they can save their time and yep. not have to go through the same thing. So that's a good reminder too, that these lessons can be useful for teaching others. That's that concept saves my life. Cause I, I mean, I feel like I have messed up so much. I spent a long time messing up and hurting people. And yet if I hadn't gone through all of that, if I hadn't made those messes, none of what I offer now, none of the the phone calls or the text messages I get saying, oh my God, the work we did was so powerful. Oh my God, I can't believe. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind. None of that is possible without me having screwed up so hard and hurt so bad. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well, thanks to the mistakes. We'll say thank you. Thanks, mistakes. Yeah. Um, is there anything you're reading right now you want to share? I am. So I'm reading a book by Jessica Fern called Polysecure. I'm always reading like 16 books at the same time. Yeah. Um, Jessica Fern, I heard Jessica talk at a conference a few years ago and I thought they were brilliant. And But 
I didn't, there was nothing, like I didn't have anything in my hand to carry home with me. Like I didn't. And then she put out a book this year and it's so exciting. It's called Polysecure because she's looking at polyamory and consensual non-monogamy through an attachment lens. And so I've studied attachment theory, the idea that, you know, we form our attachment bonds in our pre-verbal primary caregiver relationship very early and that those then follow us, that that becomes like a thread in our life. It's it's a lens. It's not a, like it's not determinant. You're not stuck in your attachment style. It's not you don't get frozen there and you can't ever leave, but it can feel like you're frozen in it. So I've been reading this book and reawakening my interest in attachment styles particularly um, because she's talking about it from this this polyamorous lens. And that's that's my relationship style, but also because I feel like it it reminds me that we we get to reinvent ourselves. We get to reinvent what we think love looks like and friendship. And she has she has like these great, she breaks down attachment style beautifully. Um, whether you're polyamorous or not, she just breaks it down really beautifully. And she talks about how um, she talks about how we transfer our our attachment bond. Most of us in adulthood, we transfer it to a partner. And it's been making me think a ton about whether I want that to be transferred just to my partner or whether I want it to be transferred somewhat to my friendships. And then what kind of friendships do I need to have? Like, how is that going to look then? And yeah, it, it feels like it feels like I, I I can feel the ground shaking like at the beginning of an earthquake. Like, oh, my whole mm-hmm. concept of how attachment works in adulthood is going to shift. And I've been studying this for years, so I'm surprised to feel so shaken by it. It's really exciting. That does sound exciting. I want to read that book too. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm just starting to explore polyamory. I think I would call myself like a poly tadpole. Poly curious. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, that's what they call you. Yeah, that's a real thing. (laughs) I put that, I'm exploring polyamory. I put that on my dating profile. Make you very popular. Yes, I've gotten a lot of messages. For some good reasons and some not good reasons. Dudes, 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 do not message any femme who has polycurious or open to poly or polyamorous in their dating profile with the thought that she just wants to have sex and then you can, you don't have to show up emotionally. You don't have to do it. Just, just don't like, I'm going to come through the microphone with a pencil. No, we are not disposable. And there is so much more to consensual non-monogamy than just showing up to fuck. Wow. Okay. I have a, that's a full rant. You got a full Jolie rant. So like, you've thought about on. this. I have thought I, I hate when guys pick me up and put me down because they want to be in a relationship, but when they're in between their real relationships, their monogamous relationships, Uh, they're like, Oh, you. And I'm like, yeah, that's not how this is going to work. No, that just hurts. And it's a lot of heartbreak. So no, just no. One of the other things coming up on the show is we're going to be dedicating some time to speaking up in relationships and speaking up about the kind of relationships you want and speaking up about sex. And those will probably be like several episodes, but we're going to continue this conversation there because there's so much you, (laughs) I know you you have have stuff to say. (laughs) Do. And, um, I, you're my, the person I go to for all of this. Cause I'm like, okay, so now what do I do? And you always have an answer. It's great. So we're going to talk a lot about that. And if anyone has questions around poly, around relationships, we're going to do Q and a episodes too, that will yeah. 
And I love that. You've seen me do Q&A. That is, I love that. You do. I love that. Yeah. So I thought we should get into introducing our guest today. How do you know Cindy Lee? So I first met Cindy Lee. I'm going to tell the story in the interview. I met her when I was training to officially move my sex education from like informal to, oh, I'm going to get certified and do this. And she was a teacher. She taught me about pleasure. She taught me about culture and diversity. And we taught, she was my very first experience of blowing up the typical pedagogical rules of like needing to learn in this strict pedantic way. And instead letting our whole bodies show up and get exactly what they need. So Cindy Lee blew my mind. That was like seven years ago now. And ever since I've just followed her work and it's always a treat. Always. She's so real. I I got that impression right away. And I'm like, oh, now I can see why, why Julie really wanted to have her on the show. And I just really loved hearing everything she had to say. So I'll tell a little bit more about who she is. Cindy Lee Alves is an award-winning sexologist. I've never heard of a sexologist before, by the way. A sexologist is a great term. Really, somebody who really takes the study of sex and sexuality as their whole field. Because sexuality studies often touch, they touch gender studies, and they touch relationship studies, and they touch like all these other areas. So a sexologist really understands sex and sexuality at the center, like as its own, as the hub of its own set of studies. Cool. All right. So she is an award-winning sexologist with over a decade of experience in facilitating challenging conversations with both both adults and young people, centering Black, Indigenous, and folks of color across (laughs) intersecting system-impacting identities. They have educated thousands of people on sexuality, education, and wellness with interests in pleasure, justice, and liberation. As founder and head educator of Ascension Institute, Cindy Lee offers workshops, consulting, and private coaching around pleasure, sexual shame, and sexological professional development. She's also the host of Sex on Shuffle, a podcast discussing sex and sexuality using teachable moments in music and popular culture. Cindy Lee earned their Master in Education from Widener University's Center for Sexuality Studies and Bachelor of Arts in both Psychology and Women's Studies from Stony Brook University. Additionally, they are recognized for their contributions as a founding member of the Women of Color Sexual Health Network's Leadership Collective. Her downtime involves dancing, yummy food, and shimmying often. (laughs) Shimmy! We did not have Cindy Lee shimmy for us. We'll have to have her back. Yeah, Yeah, and we have to have her back for the shimmies. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, is there anything else you want to add before we jump into the interview? Just that this, listen close. This interview was about pleasure, right? And so you might be expecting one particular thing. You might be expecting it to continue in the same way that Angela and I have been talking about pleasure. But Cindy Lee takes it and replaces pleasure back into everything that we're doing. Pleasure touches our work um, with challenging concepts like racism, um, systems-impacted identities. Um, It it touches everything. And she uses pleasure to to help us reframe how we do this work, how we actually make the world be what we want it to be. So listen, buckle up. This This is big. And there's so much more we could do with this topic. But if you are at the beginning of your work trying to transform the world... Yeah, prepare to be uh, taken in a new direction. 
Yeah, that's a good way to put it. We'll leave it at that. All right, everyone, enjoy the interview. Hey, everybody, we are back and we are with Cindy Lee Alves. And I could not be more happy to talk about pleasure with somebody who really revolutionized my understanding of pleasure. You did. So when I took up the the notion of taking my sex education that I've been doing in my life Mm -hmm. and decided to get serious about it, I showed Mm -hmm. up at a school called IC and There was Cindy Lee, who had never met me before, but I walked into the room, and it was day 13, I think, of 14 (laughs) in-person days, back-to-back, like, nine, 10-hour days. It was wild, and I had a migraine, and I need to walk up to this person and say, so we've never met, but I'm a good student, I promise, but I need to go lie under the table because I cannot do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Cindy Lee just totally, like, melted my anxiety. And put me at complete ease and said, your body, your body, like you go do what you need to do. The learning will happen the way it needs to happen. It's fine. I wound up with somebody doing craniosacral work on me under the table. It was, it was a whole thing. And that was for me, that was the pivotal moment. And so I was well into my education, but that was the moment where I was like, oh, pleasure isn't just about treats. Pleasures mm. about leaning into being a fully embodied human and like absolutely embracing the idea that I get to have joy. So mm-hmm. that's why mm-hmm. that's why I wanted you. So thank you Aww. so much, Lee. <laughs> oh, this tender moment. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing. Because that's real, especially if you have experience with learning and academies in different ways that you're like, okay, my headache came at the least perfect time. How do I, you know, grit and bear it? How do I just push through it? Because I have to get through this. And what would it look like to be like, no, you don't have to, like you're valuable and enough here being present. That's the best way, right? To heal. So you could be present for the rest of the 8 million hours. Right. And, and so you, you led me back to myself. I didn't even Mm. know I had wandered, but you led me Mm. back to myself. And that was a gateway to reimagining how I would teach in the future, how I show up for my college students and how I show up Mm. for my own kids. Um, it, it was absolutely a critical moment. So I'm so grateful. And the the rest of the day we were talking about pleasure you you have taught several classes that i've that i've taken you've taught classes about diversity you talk about the un, the stuff that is uncomfortable and difficult mm. and you somehow managed to bring it back to pleasure and like bring it back to okay how can we enjoy this this tough stuff mm-hmm. and so i would just love to have you tell us like why you care about pleasure why does it matter to you why does it feature so strongly for you Mm, I think there's so many layers and levels I can take to have answering that question. I would say that I think for my experience of pleasure, it always came like you have to prove yourself. You have to be worthy of having the time or the privilege to have pleasure. And what does it look like to not have other folks have to have that kind of mindset or hold space to invite folks to explore what it would look like? to do the difficult things, to have the difficult conversations, but also understand that in that, 
there's these multiple truths and there's ways for us to center our joy and our pleasure even in the nonsense because I don't know how oh much language can, we can use here. you can say all the language you oh, can beautiful. say all the language That's and my it's favorite That's it my is favorite. nonsense <laughs> okay yes so fuck shit how do we live in a space where we acknowledge the fuck shit we don't ignore it because that hasn't worked for years and years mm-hmm. and find a way to find our pleasure in that find ways to advocate for our pleasure to model that for other folks and to show up for folks who, you know, are somewhere in that spectrum of, I don't know yet. Like, I don't know. I got too many things to do. That's the last thing on my mind. Mm-hmm. Again, what would it look like to center that and to understand that that is a catalyst for you to be able to be present, be embodied, be able to do whatever your purpose is to the best of your ability because you are cared for and seen by yourself, by your community, et cetera. Yeah. So you really fold it into like your being. I, I feel like it was almost strange to when I was thinking about asking you to talk about pleasure, I thought it, it almost feels strange to ask you to talk about it because it's it's just what you teach. You teach from like this perspective of, hey, we're here. Let's enjoy it. And at the same time, you do some really important work. You're doing the work of helping us uh navigate the well, the fucking mess we're in, right? Mm-hmm. Like and so when we're talking about pleasure, sometimes I think we, we, we get caught in that like bubble baths pleasure, right? We get, yeah. <laughs> we're and over that's there. Good too, right? It's like, good that's too. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we want that. We want, we don't want to not have that, but can you expand on like some of the things that you think of as pleasure now that you've really, like really made it a, a feature? Mm. I think for me right now, pleasure is, being able to stand in my purpose without any qualms, without any feelings of guilt or shame around the privilege of being able to be in this place because of whatever I've endured before, right? I find pleasure in being able to hold space for folks around topics that, you know, for so many of us that we're in these niches, sometimes it doesn't, it hit us, it hits us different when we're looking at it like, oh, you're at that place. I got you. Okay. I know what that's like. I was there and I can hold space for you to stay there and, and swim in it exactly the way that you need to. Uh, I find pleasure in the aha moments, even mm-hmm. with folks that I don't know outside of this space where without my educator hat, I might not want to have, you know, tea or lunch with you, but that doesn't mean that we both don't deserve to be in a space where we can be fully ourselves to be able to do the hard work, to be able to have the difficult conversation so that you can find pleasure in realizing, oh, I didn't realize that this is nonsense or I've caused harm or how does it look like to atone and be accountable to that and find joy in that and being able to say, I did this crappy shit before or, you know, I did awful, I wasn't the best educator or fill in the blank. But now I can find joy in knowing that I know not, I know better now. I can do better mm-hmm. and I can model that for other folks so that they don't have to be in spaces where they feel unsafe or unseen. Yeah. Finding pleasure in like in noticing your own your own development. Like yeah. we're we're just we're works in progress. And so I'm hearing you say that you you can actually take pleasure in noticing where you are now, but also in like knowing that. You, <laughs> 
<laughs> that you have also gone on a journey, your own mm-hmm. evolution of like being politically aware and being aware of how to how to make change in this world, right? So and that helps you relate to other people. So you can enjoy that rather than be like in that aggressive stance of I have to change this. Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. lean into it with like, oh, actually I can enjoy being in that shared space. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't want to be your best friend, I can enjoy being in our shared space and really take pleasure. So now I'm thinking about how, you know, the work day whatever the heck the work day is supposed to be. I mean, we all, so many of us are working these um, mishmash careers that we piece together yeah. out of a whole bunch of things, but in the work day. So how do you put pleasure into your day? Cause I know you do a lot of different things mm-hmm. and some of them you probably don't even call work, but I would view them from the outside as work. How do yeah. you, how do you make sure that you're including pleasure for yourself? Mm. It feels like, sometimes it feels like extra work, I'm not going to lie, in being present in that, right? Sometimes I'm like, oh, it was so much easier when I dissociated or when I was just like really focused on work. I can can own that and say I would never go back to that, right? So it's, you know, especially now with the pandemic, the uprisings, the nonsense that's happening, I feel like I'm teetering on the work is not priority unless it's fulfilling to me in order for me to be my best self in doing the work I have to pay attention to my body and how does it feel Mm -hmm. so what that looks like is my nine to five-ness because I came from nine to five I'm no longer nine to five but I came from nine to five it's you know what does it look like to unpack that to deconstruct that for me right so for me that looks like you know, I wake up at five, six in the morning. I don't start working then though, right? Like I get acclimated in the day. I have my tea. I do my joyful movement. I take care of myself. You know, I enjoy cooking with my lover. My lover's here and has to work from home too. So like, how do we collaborate and live in the shared space and not feel quote unquote trapped like some folks do, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, getting my work done in increments, giving myself breaks before between that or giving myself, Um, opportunities to connect with folks because for me I like to connect with folks to feel like oh I'm not isolated like there is a way for us to build community and that for me brings me pleasure and joy and I notice how excited I am to do any other tasks even the difficult tasks even the tasks that are fun right whether it's you know figuring out your taxes now because now's the time or like grading papers, you know, back in my professor days, right? Like, how do we make it so that that is manageable instead of what I did before is like, I'm going to spend the entire day on this Mm -hmm. and be like, you know, a masochist in a way that's not pleasurable for me, right? Because there's ways to do it in a way that's pleasurable. And then I deserve something, right? And for some folks that works, so I want to honor that too. Some folks need that oh, I got to give myself some type of gratification or a reward, right? If that works for you, that's cool. But I've noticed that for me, I rebel against the rebelling. So I need to have like, let me follow my intuition and also have a task list, but follow the, like the intuition is priority, right? Like how I feel in my body is priority, give or take a deadline, right? Because I'm a work in progress too. And sometimes it's easy to go back to those comfortable, okay, I'm going to grind out and get this out of the way. You know, I'll take care of myself later. Yeah. I just heard you say that you, in the morning, you do joyful movement. And that stood out to me because it sounds like 
you just kind of brushed over it. Like that's something you normally do. But I think a lot of people think of their morning workout as like, oh, I got to work out. I have to do mm-hmm. this thing. And you, it sounds like you've incorporated it in a way where it's something that you look forward to. Have you always felt that way about moving your body or is it something you've been intentional about? I've, it's definitely been an intentional thing for, you know, most of my life before the profession and knowing things about body image and how it's all connected to sexuality. You know, body wasn't a thing that felt good for me, right? I've been a fat person all my life or have been seen as a fat person, even though I, you know, if I didn't qualify under the fat spectrum of like actual size. Uh, So it's always been uh, portrayed to me as a punishment Mm -hmm. or something I had to do to get this unattainable goal of this body that would give me some form of social capital at the end. Until you realize like, that's not coming, right? Like for me, for me, that's not coming. Or for me, I'm not being able to give myself the time to sit with what would that feel like? What would my body uh, feel for me? Like what would be the desired outcome if there is one for me, not for, you know, the Weight Watchers that my mom had me in at 16, even though you have to be 18, right? That's okay. Like rules get to be broken for things like that. So it's things around how do I look and understand that movement for me makes my body feel good, yeah. right? Without pushing that on other folks or without having a goal or putting myself through a pain or an anguish as a punishment for living in the body that I was given and letting it develop the way that it does. Because we all have, you know, we all have bodies. That's one thing. But we all have different ways of how we look at it, how it's been you know, how we've been socialized to feel about it, whether or not it's desirable or not desirable. And all those things connect to the messages that we receive, even when there's no message, right? Like even when you're not given anything, you're going to absorb things from media or how your friends or your community talks about bodies. And that can shift the way you look at things like movement, for example. Can you give some examples of what you do when you're doing joyful movements? I think what you're describing about it being a punishment or a requirement, some people may just be lifting weights at the gym because they think that's what they're supposed to do. But maybe if you provide some other ideas, it might broaden broaden their um, perspective of movement. Absolutely. Um, I'll give you, because I've had a whole bunch of different movements throughout my COVID experience. Uh, Because I say that because I've been doing movement before then, but when the pandemic started is when I started being more intentional about walking to the beach every morning. Cause I have the privilege of not living too far from the beach of riding my bike again and feeling that fear and also that joy around you haven't rode your bike since you were 11 and look at you on this damn bike, right? And <laughs> look at you making it work and being scared and wearing a helmet, but the helmet matches the bike, right? Like all these little things. So now that it's cold, I'm not going nowhere outside this house, um, give or take. So it's, what does it look like to, we've made our living room a space that's intentional around movement, whether it's stretching, we like stretching, we like Tai Chi. Um, I, I use a lot of yoga movements in my practice at my speed. Cause I know sometimes when people watch on YouTube or something free, like accessible things, they feel like they have to match that person. No, if I have to pause it, I have that power. If I have to rewind it or do a modification, I have that power. And then sometimes it's, I got a lot of anxiety in my body or I just fucking feel like it. I'm going to have a dance party either by myself or with my lover 
whatever, right? whether it's well choreographed, whether it's on beat, you know, that's my business, but <laughs> yeah. you know, feel good. It's not, you know, I miss going out, right? I miss, I used to club a lot. When I was younger, I was in little dance groups doing little talent shows. And at one point, at what point did I as an adult say, you know, that's not something you do anymore, right? Like, I don't think that was an intentional thing. It was, I'm in grad school. Grad school is never about happiness to me in my experience, right? Like I was trying to write, yeah, like I was trying to write a dissertation. And again, it was those thoughts, like you got these things to do. So you can't really do these things because you don't deserve them or you didn't do enough. You didn't produce enough. So again, there's options around all of this. That's super important. So first off, I love that you're talking about these, the, the range from, you know, everything, including just dance party around your kitchen, which I know is Angela's signature move as well. Come on. Yeah, I'm with Sometimes you, you got to close the curtains even. It's so, yeah. so wild. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I love that you also are, are noticing the, that you, that the, that each of us is going to be in places, times in our life phases when we feel like everything's become inaccessible like mm-hmm. and and it seems like it's mostly a head trip it's something we do to ourselves where where we've decided i mean there are real honest to god things causing massive oppression and and Absolutely. problems that's Absolutely. real but we also trap ourselves by uh, inventing scenarios like i'm in grad school i need to be serious i need to get my work done that needs to be the only thing yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely relate to that. It was like a, it was, it was as if it was the hazing I needed to do to myself. Mm-hmm. And then I, di- I, I divested myself from the idea that I got to just have fun. Mm-hmm. I keep using the word pleasure, but it's, I'm uh, like, I'm thinking about being in a class with sexuality professionals. It's not uncommon to turn on the music and be like, okay, everybody, we're just moving. We're yes, just moving. Please. But that doesn't happen in most in most spaces. No. So the the joy gets brought into some spaces, but a lot of times we just trap ourselves in these boxes, this imagination that we have to be productive, that mm-hmm. we have to contribute or we don't deserve. Mm-hmm. What the hell is that all about? And it's funny because you know, I talk a lot about systemic oppression and system impacted identities. I have those conversations and those are all connected to that too, right? Like yeah. this belief that you know, that there has to be a hazing for you to be able to earn your PhD or whatever that means, right? Because that is an attainable goal that's seen as social capital in this world. What does it look like to have trauma-informed, trauma-responsive graduate work? I don't know if that's going to exist or if it exists now, right? Like, I don't know. God, let's let that exist. Right, right. (laughs) And what would it look like to center... That, that, that there could be joy in dissertation work for someone and not just the people that follow the the template that's already been yep. afforded to us. For some people that works, okay? I've had students that are like, I love you, but I, I like lecture and you don't give right. me enough lecture. And I'm like, I get that, I get that. And I had so much of that that I'm just like, no, Right. And lecture works for the things that it works, right? Like we can have conversations around theory. Yeah. But I would also like to incorporate what does it mean to engage in it or do something to have some conversation around application. 
Right. Because we don't have to do things the way that they've always been done. Correct. I mean, so this podcast, it's a public speaking podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're talking about how people can find their voice, speak confidently, ask mm-hmm. for what they need. And I'm, I'm instantly thinking about how, how important it is that we recognize the systems of oppression mm-hmm. and, and know how to ask for those things. But if we don't first know how to like identify for ourselves mm-hmm. what we actually want, what we need. It's really hard. Like, so you're talking yeah. about really big, tough conversations that need to be had. And first I might need to have a conversation with myself or with my lover or my partner or my, or my, my cat about how mm-hmm. we're going to be in our space together. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I can incrementally have these, these harder conversations because if we want to actually incorporate pleasure into our day-to-day experience, some of our systems have to change. Mm. They really I mean, do. Yes, a full dismantling would be ideal. But I know that for some folks, that's not where they're at, right? And I'm not getting, you know, there's a, it's a very complicated dance around giving folks grace and also holding people accountable for the for the privilege of that said grace that you got to live in a space where you didn't realize these things or it didn't impact you or maybe you didn't realize that it impacted you cuz you know when i talk about white supremacy for example i'm i make very clear that white supremacy you know, impacts all of us, right? Even from the belief, if, you know, you're talking about public speaking and confidence, you know, imposter syndrome is a, is how white supremacy shows up, right? Like urgency of feeling like you have to do this one particular thing now or else, you know, you're going to lose its vigor or you're not going to be able to be viral if you're someone that's in, you know, trying to get into the interwebs in the way that you need to, right? Those things are limiting beliefs that will stop you. That doesn't mean that you changing your mindset is going to stop all oppression. But what does it look like to show up in a way where you do not hide the fact that oppression exists and that you can play your role and where you can provide some work or some knowledge to your fan base, hold yourself accountable, model that accountability to folks, depending on, you know, who you're talking to and the importance of it, right? And acknowledging that whatever you bring to the table is important and there's stuff that's happening at the same time, right? So imagine there's so many folks that I've spoken to because I speak to a lot of sexuality professionals that want to do their own thing or healing professionals overall. And, you know, so many folks stop themselves because, oh, someone else is doing it. Or how do I feel talking about pleasure and joy when there's a pandemic? Or how do I feel about talking about sex and sexuality when there's an uprising and a revolution happening? And all of those things happen at the same time. Like all of those things, those are multiple truths that can exist. And it's a dance and we're going to get it wrong sometimes. But the action, right, the action breeds the motivation, has you to continue to do the work so that if there's anything that, you know, you mess up on, how do we continue to do that without that, um, momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Like pleasure and joy as momentum to, to keep us going. Cause this is not, the dismantling can't happen overnight. So if we're in this for real change Mm -hmm. and if we're speaking up because we want a different world, Mm -hmm. then we need to include our experience. Like our experience needs to be joyful enough that we'll keep at it. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it, I mean, if we just are in it to like self-flagellate and I, as a white person, I've definitely found myself in that spot where I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll punish myself and that will somehow absolve me of the guilt that I have for having privilege. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fucking work. Mm-mm. It doesn't work. And all it does is lead me to hurt other people. Right. So in, if I instead focus on how I can like incorporate, like, like weave joys into my day mm-hmm. not just as rewards for like no cookies no yeah, no damn yeah. cookies no like, no, cookie. <laughs> right no no not giving out cookies for doing you know a, a human decent a human decency an act of human decency mm-hmm. but but joyful for myself so like I'm thinking now practically speaking of planning to have these harder conversations like this podcast is is evolving as we speak like literally mm-hmm. as we speak it's it's moving away from trying to have conversations about, that include, as a matter of course, mm-hmm. talking about white supremacy or dealing with race issues at all to mm-hmm. like, oh, it's just happening. It's just happening. Right. And I don't know about you, Angela, but I'm all like, like, I got the sweats. I'm like, yeah, this is, we're on the edge now. And mm-hmm. that is joyful. If I reframe it, if I say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted to be scared <laughs> and and think, oh, I, I might I might get a mean email thinking I said the wrong thing. And that's exciting. That's mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's exciting because that means I'll be at the edge. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be in my my reclining chair sitting in the middle of my my perfectly white room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I kind of realized that if while we're doing these interviews, if I'm not at some point in the interview saying to myself, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, <laughs> like we're doing it wrong. So this conversation is making me say that. <laughs> and it's making me also think about, you know, other women who are listening, who are thinking, how can I get involved in this conversation? How can I evolve my work to include more pleasure, to be more aware of some of the systemic issues that I'm kind of dealing with that, you know, I've inherited? What would mm-hmm. you say to them? to try and get them to maybe want to take some moves forward and not be afraid or to, you know, not feel like this isn't the right time. I mean, similar to a lot of the work that people do around their own self-development or their empowerment, or they wanting to do whatever their passion, right. Whatever their purpose is that what I said before, no movement, nothing's going to happen, whatever that movement is. And again, I'm not telling you make, you know, give yourself a cookie because you well, you read white frig- uh, fragility, right? Like understand that knowledge, us obtaining knowledge, whatever that is to show up for folks who deserve universal, right? Like human decency um, is baseline. Yeah. Understanding that you learning all of this, we've all come and lived in, a, in this world that prioritizes certain histories or certain ways of thought and being. But learning is the baseline, right? I think the key thing for folks, especially folks with dominant identities or privileges, right? Because me, you know, we have we all have privileges in one way or another, right? Especially as able-bodied folks, if folks are able-bodied across system-impacted identities. Um, I forgot what I was saying. Uh, you know, what important. I, no, I feel like you're heading towards like no matter where we are. Mm. If we, if we, if we can see that our gaining knowledge is the baseline and we, and we gain that knowledge and we're reading the books and we're yes. going to our groups and stuff. Your white then, accountability group. 
right? Yeah. And we're doing that. So we're showing up, we're doing it. That's the baseline. And then if we can try to find some joy in taking an action that's past that, an action, Mm -hmm. something that, that does feel a little risky. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think we can do to help with that is remind ourselves that we can have safety plans for ourselves. We can have some aftercare, like, okay, it's not, it's, it's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. I might need some compassionate care after I have a hard conversation where I, you know, I call a boss on something or Mm -hmm. I ask for a change in my school system, or I simply show up to a meeting to provide, you know, embodied support, um, for people who are asking to, to change the world. Right. Mm -hmm. If we plan for our aftercare, that can let us take joy. Like, so that's not a reward. That's Mm -hmm. not, that's not like, I'm going to reward myself for doing the thing, but you could absolutely say, oh, I'm, I'm going to take an action. It's going to feel big mm-hmm. and it's going to be big relative to me, like wherever mm-hmm. I am. And then afterwards I need, maybe I need a warm bath. Maybe I need to have somebody cook a meal for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to need to have a phone call with somebody who can say, yeah, okay, you did it. You showed up. Yeah. And then afterwards, what's next? Right. Like, but we can enjoy that process. Mm-hmm. It's, it feels like it's taking it right out of the realm of, of reward and treats and bringing joy into the honest to God work that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. That needs to happen. And it needs to happen every day. So replacing that, like replacing the joy into it. And understanding, you know, what it means to be a part of the collective. Right. Because we are taught that a lot of us are taught, especially if you were raised in the United States, to be individualistic, to only center yourself and your purposes and your goals. And that's fine to think about that. And but you can't like we think about so many things at the same time. We have the ability to take care of, you know, what we want to do, what are our purposes and acknowledge that there's ways that you could leverage your privilege for other folks if that's something that you care about to me i feel like everyone should care about it because our liberation our freedom our ability to center our pleasure our joy it's interconnected right like we're not going to be free until black women and femmes are free right like that's just not going to happen that oppression is connected some way or fashion even with privileges so what does it look like to show up in ways where it's authentic and it acknowledges that struggles exist and not in ways where it's like, give me a cookie or give me praise, but this exists and it's fucked up and I might play a part or benefit from it, but I also play a part in trying to dismantle it or to looking at it in a different way or to holding space and acknowledge that, you know, my preferred client might be a white person, right? Like that, that is a thing that we need to have a conversation about to be uh, transparent in ways that understands that healing justice, our ability to do our work, it's not a one size fits all. Right. Right. But the beauty is, is that we all have the opportunities to do what feels good to us or our place and our part in the collective or in the work that we do. And that that's, good where we're at as we continue to push growth edges as we continue to do work to expand our our ways of being if that's something that is in alignment with your values and that's why I understand that it's not for some folks or I understand that they're not there yet and that's why there's other folks that can follow you in those courses right and that's why it's good to know your purpose and know your values so you know who you can be in alignment for 
right? Because sometimes we're just not going to work for folks or they're not ready to consume this information, even though that it exists, right? Some folks didn't understand a lot of this. I know we're talking about pleasure and joy, but it brings me pleasure and joy to bring this shit up. Um, it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so like some folks didn't realize any of this until last June. And before that, you know, a certain administration was in office, right? But things have been harming folks for a long time. Right. And for folks who want to center their pleasure and joy, understand that there's folks that have obstacles for yes. them to be able to do that. Yeah. It, it I, when I hear you talk about the collective, I feel like that's that's a a wonderful place to sort of wrap the conversation up. I I put so I made this this little quick um ebook. I put it together and this the subtitle of it is reclaiming pleasure and liberate joy and I chose the word liberate on purpose. I chose it mm-hmm. because I don't think we're going to heal the collective unless we actually get the, like find where the joy is living in our bodies. But I also don't think we can escape into bubble bath land Mm-mm. and still experience true joy because if our whole world is hurting if the if if the earth itself and the people who live on it are and all the non-human animals are uh, beings are hurting are we really going to have pleasure really so yeah i feel like you're reminding me that wherever i am in my process in my work mm-hmm. keep the both and keeping the mm-hmm. i'm going to do my work i'm going to show up i'm going to do it and i'm going to do it for more than me and that really, that is the pleasure. So you're like mm-hmm. translating it. It's mm-hmm. not just, I'm going to do it because it can be pleasurable to have the rewards. I'm going to do it because knowing that I'm participating in the healing of the collective is pleasurable. Mm-hmm. It's in the outcome, in the hope of that outcome, whether right. we see it or not, or whether yes. we're seeing it now. Because, you know, people from 30 years ago might see what happening, what's happening now as change, whatever that is, whatever right. they're looking at. Right. So it's honoring all of that. And I don't know what is time anymore. Right. I don't, (laughs) who knows, who knows? It's true though. I mean, we have, we can't be fixed on one particular outcome, but if we're at least feeling the movement, the movement towards something and we're participating in it. Yeah. That's, that's big pleasure for me. Yeah. I can't thank you enough. This has been amazing. I appreciate you. Cindy, where can, Cindy Lee, where can we get more information about your work and follow you? Yeah, absolutely. You can, you know, it's not very creative. You can find me by my government name. So Cindy Lee Alves on everything I have. I also have a podcast where I'm a little, you know, informal and free with my voice called Sex on Shuffle because I really believe that sexuality is connected to everything. And I use pop culture and media to bring up like sexuality, teachable moments for folks. You can find me there too. I can't wait to listen to that. (laughs) Thank you you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. This was awesome. Appreciate you. Jolie and I hope you have loved listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Clay in the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now. Bye.